DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction, according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leone Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Where do we find ourselves with our now dear friend, Leonie Martin, but now she is actually Sister Francois Therese? We're making a large jump now. We simply can't cover everything. And so what I've done is to choose representative letters at various points throughout what will prove to be the 42 years of her religious life until she dies at 78. We'll pick up at this point, this would be her 16th year in religious life. This is in 1915. And this is one of these beautiful things that you think, you know, only God can arrange this kind of thing. When uh, Leonie entered the Visitation Monastery in 1899, so at the age of 35, she had every expectation that she would never see her sisters again and that the uh, contact that she would have with them would be through letters. Uh, We've talked about that. However, in her fourth year in religious life, so this was 1903, her sister Pauline accompanied the then prioress of the Carmel in Lisieux on a journey for business of the Carmel. And they came through the city of Caen and they stopped at the Visitation Monastery. And uh, Leonie had the chance to speak with Pauline for about an hour, which was precious to both of them. And You have a letter from Pauline afterwards where she indicates that I can see the growth in you. And that was the beginning of what became a deep relationship between the two monasteries, the Carmel and the Visitation, and beyond the sisters, because now the sisters had met in in, uh, the Visitation, had met Pauline, and um, uh, a, a very beautiful relationship developed between the two of them. But again, uh, they never expected that they would ever see each other again. And that's where you get this repeated longing for heaven when they'll all be together again as a family. However, what intervenes is the cause of canonization of Therese. And twice in the course of that cause of canonization, witnesses had to be deposed, first on the diocesan level. And this was in 1910. And uh, it's more than we can get into, but you have letters from her sisters in the Carmel advising her on how to go about giving her deposition and so forth. And this is done uh, in the city of Bayou, where the bishop resides. However, five years later, when the cause has progressed now and is now in Rome, the um, witnesses need to be deposed again. And because the most significant witnesses are in Lisieux, the uh, Rome decides that the depositions will be taken in the Carmel itself in Lisieux. And rather than have the, whole, the commission 
overseeing this, these, uh, these witnesses have to travel to Caen, they decide that they'll simply ask Leonie to come and uh, give her witness there at the monastery in the, at, in the Carmel in Lisieux. So completely unexpectedly, uh, suddenly uh, Leonie is going to have a chance to actually meet with her three sisters. And there are photographs of this. They're beautiful photographs where you see the four of them together. And this is the setting in which they were taken. So this first, and this, this actually, this is in 1915, and this really marks a pivotal point in Leonie's uh, spiritual journey. So the first letter that uh, we'll look at is just before this meeting, which takes place from September 11th through the 18th of 1915. So she spends eight days in the Carmel. And uh, this is about a week and a half before then, and she writes to her sister Pauline. Beloved little mother, I believe I'm dreaming when I think that in a few days I'll be able to throw myself into your arms. As soon as I arrive, I'll kneel to receive your blessing, and then I'd like to hug all three of my little sisters at once. One of our turn sisters, so these monasteries, as I mentioned, they had various categories of sisters, and the turn sisters were those who were not limited to the cloister, and so they would take care of the business of the monastery on the outside. One of our turn sisters will drive me to Lisieux. I wonder if she'd ever been in a car before. That maybe was the first time. How happy I would be if I could be with you for September 8th, the anniversary of our dear little saint's profession. Point of fact, she was there three days later. I'll see you soon, and before having had a taste of the homeland, in other words, I'm going to be seeing you soon and before heaven. Uh, this is something I never dreamed of. Would you inform Jean, so that's their cousin Jean, who is living in Lisieux at this point, married, when everything has been decided so that I can give her a hug before returning to come. This next letter is written on September 20th. So she leaves the monastery. She leaves the Carmel on the 18th. She is now just back in her own monastery, and she writes to her three sisters. Here I am, back in my sweet visitation nest, but I feel transformed. And that, those are words we don't want to go by too much, because, as I say, this is really a pivotal point. The one who points this out is uh, Father Pia, whom I mentioned is uh, the first historian of the Martin family and an excellent scholar of this and he describes these eight days that she spends in the Carmel as a decisive turning point in the spiritual journey of Leonie. Because what it means is that for the first time, Leonie has a chance to see the places where Therese lived. And they did some very sweet things. Um, they had her sit in the refectory in the place where Therese sat and a number of things like this. Uh, she gets to see uh, Therese sell. She has lengthy conversations with the, the sisters there, above all, her own sisters. And that's a beautiful thing. They were sitting on the steps, the four of them, leading into the garden in conversation or in some other places. So she has a chance to visit these places, to pray in them, and to absorb them so that the story of a soul and Therese's own story come alive for her in a whole new way during these eight days. So here I am back in my own visitation nest, sweet visitation nest, but I feel transformed. Pray that it lasts until my dying breath, 
because I am much more afraid of myself than of the devil. How she always has that sense of her own weakness. Exile, seemed, that is her time on earth, seems harder to bear than before, which is inevitable, of course, after having um, just thrilled with the joy of those eight heavenly days for her. And now that kind of communication is taken away. Then again, I have many delightful memories and many specific ways of becoming more holy. She's learned more about Therese. Now I'm going to launch myself full sail into my heavenly little sister's little and very pleasant way. So there's a whole new determination to enter into Therese's little way. As I say, I think only God could create an opportunity like this uh, for her to actually visit the Carmel and then benefit in these ways. Like her, I always wanted to hold Jesus' hand and let him carry me. I can't find the words, little sisters, to express my gratitude. I probably said before, and we'll see it uh, further, gratitude is, she's almost, at one point when I was reading her letters, I just said, turned to her spiritually and said, you are gratitude. Not that you have gratitude, you are gratitude, because it's so deeply rooted in her. And having seen her story, as we've seen it, we can see why. This uh, unending marvel that things did not remain the way they were in my detestable youth, to use her own phrase, but that things have changed. How did this happen? What kind of grace has been at work? Uh, she'll, she'll never cease to marvel at this. I can't find the words, little sisters, to express my gratitude for the hundreds of thousands of acts of kindness I was shown in your dear Carmel. And this despite my being very small and unworthy. Tell, and you can feel how as she says these things now, it no longer has the sting that it would have had. She'll still struggle with this, but something is really changing. Tell our dear sisters once again, I beg of you, how glad I am to be their tiny sister. I'm afraid I might have hurt dear Mother Marie of the Angels, that was Therese Navas mistress, when she so kindly offered me her little parcel of pictures I feared it would be indiscreet to accept it, seeing as I had almost emptied Sister Marie of the Trinity's boutique. Sister Marie of the Trinity was the youngest novice uh, whom Therese trained, and there was a deep bond between them. And she was in charge of handing, because they, they were getting thousands and thousands and thousands of requests for relics and souvenirs and holy cards and so forth. And so she says, Sister Marie of the Trinity almost emptied her store to give them to me to take back. And so I was... It just didn't seem right to me to accept further gifts of this kind from Sister Maria of the Angels. But now she's worried that she might have offended Sister Maria of the Angels by not accepting the gift. I spent a long moment with our dearest mother yesterday. So that's the prioress in the visitation. Despite her being on retreat, and this is another sign of the changed climate in the visitation. So the mother prioress is on retreat. Strictly speaking, she's in silence. So it would be natural for Leonie to expect that she would wait until her prioress's retreat is finished in order to share her experience in the Carmel. But obviously her prioress, who knows just how uh, important this experience uh, would be for Leonie, breaks her silence in order to give Leonie a chance to share with her all that's happened in the Carmel. Uh, beautiful things like that. She naturally shows her affection to her little daughter who returns her love with all her heart. Farewell, little sisters. Adieu. Adieu. So until we'll meet in heaven. O Carmel, most delightful refuge, vestibule to heaven, 
When shall we all be reunited up above, free from the fear of being parted? Now, I'm going to interject here for a second time a letter from Pauline. Just again, because uh, it's worth getting to know Pauline, and it also shows us the relationship between the sisters. And so on the same day that Leonie writes this letter to the three sisters in the Carmel, September 20th, on that same day, Pauline writes to Leonie. Beloved little sister, oh, what a lovely memory we have of the few days we spent together. You can understand this because you yourself have similar feelings. She knows how Leonie is also feeling about this. Oh, my little daughter and darling sister. Daughter because Leonie, as I've said, looked upon her as her spiritual mother. Oh, my little daughter and darling sister, now I know how you are spiritually. Rest assured, despite your worries, your soul sees its wings grow bigger every day. The sisters marveled, actually, to see the newness in Leonie at this point. They could see that she had become much more subtle. There was more peace in her. They could see the growth in her, and they delighted to see it. So she says, rest assured, despite your worries, which I'm sure she would have shared with Pauline about how poorly I'm doing and so on, your soul sees its wings grow bigger every day, or rather, it can't see this, but it doesn't mean it's any less true. We can see it. You don't see it, but we see it. And the day will come in the not-so-distant future when those wings will be ready to unfold, again looking forward to her passage from this life to eternity. Then Jesus will give a sign, and the little dove, Francoise Therese, will fly to heaven without further ado. Little sister, don't worry about Sister Marie of the Angels' pictures. You didn't hurt anyone. On the contrary, everyone loves you and has the fondest memories of you. And uh, Leonie would always marvel at this. Uh, she would just marvel at the way she was loved. She, she never expected it. She didn't know it was there. And when it was shown to her, of course, it made her really happy, but it was always a marvel to her. Mother Subprioress's condition hasn't changed. Keep praying for her and for me, because it hurts me terribly to see her suffer. Sometimes, or rather often, I recall the lovely conversations we had on the garden steps, and I immediately feel a pang in my heart. As I said before, the more you get to know Pauline, the more you really learn to, to, to really appreciate her too. I immediately feel a pang in my heart because those sweet moments of joy are now over. Then something inside me says, soon you'll be re reunited forever, and I feel comforted. I love you so much, little sister, with an exclamation point. If you don't die before the beatification, so they have no idea when the beatification will happen. Sometimes in the church you wait decades. Um, this is 1915. In fact, it would happen eight years later in 1923. If you don't die before the beatification, I'm still hoping, as I said, that we'll have permission to see you again and that you'll be able to come and venerate Therese reliquary. In point of fact, uh, that didn't take place. This was the last time that they would actually meet. After all, you owe her your perseverance. So let's live in this hope and together thank God for the joy he has just given us. I can still see you in the cloisters, looking at the sky, admiring the lovely weather, clasping your hands together and exclaiming, how good God is. Oh, I'm so happy. 
And in the biography of Father Pia, he goes on to say that she just kept saying that over and over and again throughout those eight days. Oh, I'm so happy. I felt that this gratitude brought him glory. Let us continue giving him glory and praising him for everything, because it's certain that all things contribute to our happiness, even being exiled and separated, because it will make our reunion in heaven all the sweeter and more delightful. Your little sister and mama, Sister Agnes of Jesus, which was Pauline's name in religious life. Everyone here reiterates their affection and best regards. And I choose this one because this is another thread of these years in religious life. She's at home. She has everything that she wants, but it's not without struggles. And occasionally, uh, at various points in her letters, you get references to spiritual struggles, which certainly would fit St. Ignatius of Loyola's description of spiritual desolation, and almost seem to be more than that, you know, bordering on something along something like a dark night, uh, painful absences of the Lord in her prayer that are purifying for her. And in this letter, she shares very openly to Pauline about what she's experiencing at this point. She's 55 years old at this point, 19 years in religious life. It's to Pauline that she turns for a kind of direction as a mother. So she'll share her struggles with her. When she finishes her annual retreat, she'll often send her retreat resolutions to Pauline for her comments on them and so forth. So that's what she's doing here. She's sharing very openly with Pauline her struggles at this point. It reminds me of how Zelle shared with Pauline through letters. There must be something special about Pauline. There very much is. Pauline was always a leader. And just by her nature, she never reached for it. But she had that quality that she inspired confidence in people. There was a calmness and a maturity and a love in her that readily led people to put her in positions of responsibility and to feel that they could share with her in this way. Yes, it is remarkable that Zeli shares with her when Pauline is still quite young, maybe 14 years old, something like this. It's also not by chance that Pauline is the one of the sisters who is named Prioress, even during Therese's life when, she, uh, when she's still young, when Pauline is still in her 30s. And then after Therese's death, after a brief period, in which another sister was the Prioress, Pauline is re-elected prioress, and she remains so for the rest of her life, which is unusual. But uh, after a few terms, the, the Holy Father intervened and named her prioress for life. And probably because her role was so important with the, the crescendo of interest in Therese, it all focused on the Carmelin issue, and it was evident that Pauline was the right person to handle all of this. So she will spend uh, almost all of her religious life as prioress in the monastery. If you read her letters, uh, yeah, you can't help but like her. She's very capable, but there's nothing cold and distant about her. There's a deep warmth in her. She's very, very engaging as you get to know her. Now, we just read a letter from her where she just thrills with joy at uh, Leonie's profession. That's partly why I wanted to read that, just to give us a little taste, at least, of Pauline. So I'm, I'm glad that you've highlighted that here now. She really was quite an exceptional woman and religious so Leonie writes, I'm suffering morally from boredom, weariness, and extreme aversion. So this is a time of real struggle. 
and Jesus is increasingly hidden, my only ray of light, and even this is faint in the usual languid state that I'm in, is to think, might this be the last process of purification that Jesus imposes on me before coming to steal me away? Never far from her heart is the end of exile and entrance into eternal life. And even the incertitude of this distresses me instead of comforting me. So what can I do other than surrender myself like a tiny child into her loving mother's arms? But it's so difficult, especially when we feel quite abandoned by the one we love or would like to love. And in this kind of language, as I'm saying, you may be getting something that is brushing up against the, the dark night experience that John of the Cross speaks of. I don't want to push it too far, but the language certainly is language along those lines. More seems to be happening here than simple, simple, than the, the ordinary struggles with spiritual desolation that we all have. And I don't want to expand things too much, but we could watch this thread at various points, it appears, in her, in her letters. So God is working to purify her, interiorly as well as exteriorly. And she has that sense, but it's hard. Who knows if this so-called desire for love, void of positive actions, isn't just wishful thinking. Can you, little mother, see me falling into God's arms empty-handed, as it says in the Holy Gospel? I'm not quite sure exactly what she's quoting there, uh, what text that might be. It might be very bold of me to say this, but to this day I've never been afraid of God. And this is one thing that is striking throughout the entirety of her life, whatever her struggles at every stage of her life. Leonie was never afraid of God, and she was never afraid of death and entrance into what would follow. That was a fear that was completely absent always from her. It's a beautiful thing in her life. Do you think it's because in her young life, there were so many deaths? Elena's death, her two brothers, the other young girl, the other child who had died, and then her mother, and, and all of the subsequent ones, but how they received it and how it was spoken of. Do you think that played so much into it? I'm sure it did. You know, she got her basic foundation in the faith and spiritual life from the family, above all from her parents, and then later Therese develops it with a whole new richness for her. But the, the essential fundamental matrix of everything in her spiritual life is her family, as is generally true, very often true in our lives, certainly. And she was blessed to have saints for parents and saints who knew God's love and were able to instill that in their children. So she never had that fear of God, which is a, a beautiful thing because she had so many failings and imperfections and so many times when she wasn't up to the mark. And it, through all that suffering, she was never afraid of God and never afraid of the moment of death, which would usher her into eternal life. And she goes on to say, I can't even understand those who are afraid. She's sounding like very much like Therese. This could be Therese writing here. I can't even understand those who are afraid because it's our Savior Jesus who will judge us. And that's what Therese says too. You know, how can I don't understand souls who can fear a God who is so good? So may my adored eagle come very quickly. Eagle, that's borrowing Therese language too. May my adored eagle come very quickly and swoop upon his insignificant little creature. Pray for me. I'd so love to delight in suffering, 
but my cowardliness is such that I feel despair and deep sadness. I lack the strength to bounce back. If I wasn't helped with the duties in the refectory by one of our white-veiled sisters, I wouldn't be able to stay there, for I can no longer stand any amount of tiredness. So apparently what is at work in this is not only spiritual aridity and struggles, but physically things are not going too well for her right now as well. I've mentioned that throughout her life she would deal with physical frailties. And this may be an opportunity to note. So she has duties in the refectory. Throughout her life, Leonie was asked to help in various capacities in the monastery, in the refectory, in the laundry room, with sewing, in the sacristy, but never as the sister in charge. She was always assistant to another sister. It was, it was always evident to everyone that she wasn't really able to take that kind of responsibility. So this is one of the humble qualities of her life, that she will always be second in that sense. She will always be an assistant. And at this point, she is the assistant in the refectory, which means preparing for meals and setting up and so forth, all of the things that are involved in that. You know, we may recall that uh, line in Therese's Story of a Soul where she says that, if God could find a soul even weaker and smaller and littler than me, then he would fill that soul. If the soul turned to him with confidence, he would fill that soul with even greater graces than he's given to me. Leonie was familiar with that passage, and she saw herself in that role. I am the one who is weaker than you and smaller and littler than you. That's where she saw herself. And she is, as, as is often said, the first disciple of Therese in the little way, as I would say, not only chronologically, but also because it really would be hard to find someone who in human terms would be poorer than Leonie on every level. You know, uh, she was not physically attractive. She was intellectually very slow. She was emotionally very troubled. She was just unable to be given any kind of responsibility on her own and so forth. Therese, on, by contrast, was brilliant. If she were alive today and had gone into a secular career, she could have succeeded in anything that she'd wanted to be because she had this amazing intelligence. She was physically very charming and attractive. She was a beautiful young woman. She had uh, an extreme sensitivity and emotional awareness in dealing with others. And she saw herself as, you know, this little soul into which God poured his love. Leonie, in a sense, is almost a better example of the little way because very visibly and exteriorly, you can see the littleness in every aspect of her life. I quoted before the words she said to her sister, in my life, there is nothing that shines. And look at this, her cause of canonization is underway. Well, that's actually what we're exploring now. The beauty of this last phase of her life, these 42 years of religious life, is the gradual growth through ups and downs and struggles, exteriorly difficult things. There were threats of suppressing religious life early on in her religious life. The community had even gotten a house in England where they would go if the government suppressed all religious life. World War I, 1914 through 1918 that they lived through. And then the last years of her life, World War II, there, these were not just stayed sort of sedate years that she went through, and even more on the individual level as she lives various physical struggles at times, 
and then the ongoing spiritual uh, journey in her life. What we witness in these this final 40-year stage of her life is the gradual growth in a kind of spiritual richness that has led her cause of canonization now to be introduced. Well, at this point, we are five years after the preceding letter, so she is 60 years old now, and she's writing to her sister, Pauline. As I mentioned earlier about the retreat that she would make every year in the fall, she would make a retreat. These would be eight or 10 days, and the sisters would pray for an hour privately four times a day. Every year at the end of this, she would write up about a paragraph or so of her resolutions and the fruit from her retreats. It's very interesting to read through these because if you do, you see a progression. And also what you see is that this woman never stopped trying to grow spiritually. Here she is 60 years old and we'll see the effort that she's making. But this continues up into her 70s and even up to shortly before her death. So she says, my darling little mama, so that's how she calls Pauline. I haven't yet had time to tell you about my retreat. Here are the resolutions I took. So this is October of 1923. Therese has been beatified. And two years later in 1925, she will be canonized. She's speaking to Therese here. In your last letter, my beloved little saint, you wrote, if you want to be a saint, it will be easy for you. Please Jesus and unite yourself more closely to him. I want particularly to focus on these two points, gentleness and humility. Humility had a great attraction for her. I quoted the the sentence in one of her letters in which she said, in my life, I suffered a great deal from my inferiority. What you notice as you read through the letters of these last decades of her life is that she never loses the awareness of her incapacity and her limitations but the edge of heaviness dissipates gradually. And this is really the key. Maybe this is time now to say it. This is really the key to her transformation. She begins life with a painful awareness of what she calls her inferiority, how she is less than the rest of the others in the family and all the struggles we've seen in some detail. And that's actually why I didn't want to bypass them because We cannot understand this latter stage of her life and her spiritual growth without knowing well the earlier stage of her life. And she suffers a great deal from this year after year, failure after failure after failure as the rest of the family members flourish. Gradually, through the influence of Therese Little Way, which is the key that unlocks this door for her, Therese teaching that Our poverty, our littleness, far from being a source of discouragement and a source of accepting limitation in the spiritual life and sadly having to settle for less, that very littleness, that very poverty is the whole source of our hope if we bring it to Jesus with the confidence that he will fill it with his grace. And then out of that, we start doing the little things that every day is... um, comprised of, and we start doing them with the love that all the love we can put into them. Um, And then everything transforms, everything changes in our lives. So Leonie begins by suffering terribly and for many years at her very evident limitations. We gradually watch her 
come to be less burdened by this, more accepting of it. Finally, we watch her learn to love her littleness. And those are her own words. Because in the light of Therese's teaching, who is her director in all of this, she brings that very littleness to Jesus with the confidence that that's all that he wants. And that when we do that with great confidence, this is the abandonment of ourselves that Therese and Leonie often talk about. Um, that that's everything that he wants and that he will pour his grace into the littleness of what we can do and make it fruitful. Um, uh, as Therese says, confidence works miracles, you know, that kind of trust. That's the essential spiritual transformation in Leonie. And we're getting just glimpses of it here. She still uh, has a long way to go in her life and spiritual growth, but she is strongly, solidly on the path on the path that will lead to that kind of peace. Actually, if you look at the last photographs of Leonie, which is a good exercise, you can find them online, and especially the last one taken, and that was taken not long before her death. It was taken because of the war, and because uh, the sisters, there was some question of whether the sisters were going to have to leave the monastery and so on with all the upheaval that was going on. And so for uh, purposes of administration, the sisters had to be photographed, which is a blessing for us now because we have this photograph of Leonie at the very end of her life. And you see her face on in her habit. And you see a woman who is utterly at peace, uh, whose every desire is fulfilled. There's a warmth there, but what strikes you above all is that this is a woman who has been through whatever struggles life can offer and is utterly at peace. And that's the trajectory of her growth. And that's why I'm choosing this. I could have chosen many others, but this is one example of the effort that, that it took over the years for this transformation from her poverty as the source of great suffering and shame and discouragement to her poverty loved because it was her very poverty that she knew drew the grace of Jesus upon her. And it's in that sense that we speak of her as the first, and I would say almost the primary disciple of the little way. Because it, some saints, you take, for example, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and if you look for an illustration of Jesus' words, greater love no man has than that he laid down his life for his brother, you could not get a, a more powerful, striking illustration of that than Maximilian Kolbe. If you look at things like those who teach others will shine like the stars in the heavens, and you think of someone like St. Thomas Aquinas and so on, where you see this illustrated uh, so powerfully. Well, if you think of the little way, I doubt that we'll ever find a better example of it than Leonie, someone who grew to love her poverty because by bringing it to Jesus, she opened it to his power and his grace, and in that was transformed. It's a beautiful thing to see in her life. So she says, I want particularly to focus on these two points, gentleness and humility in human relationships, especially during recreations. She will often speak about these uh, recreations as something that she wants to work on. What this meant was that uh, twice a day, the sisters would break from their routine, generally after the main meals of the day, and they might have an hour together and they would just be together. Some might be sewing or different things, but they would be in free conversation with each other. So this was the point in which any relational issues would come to the fore. If you found this person difficult or, you know, whatever it might be. And so 
it's, uh, you'll often see her refer to her desire to be gentle and humble, and especially in the context of the recreations, which is another way of saying that she wants not to allow her emotional sensitivity to feeling slighted by this person or that person, not to allow it to show, and also to reach out to those who might be less humanly um, attractive to her. And also greater diligence in my work. She'll say that many times as well however much it might cost me. And this is a woman who is slow in her work and it's not easy for her to keep up with the others. I take you, darling Therese, to be my director. And she really did. In me and with me, you must continue your religious life so that I might more quickly and surely succeed through your little way, which is nothing other than the path of divine love. So she shares this with her sister, Pauline. You've been listening to A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher.